What's up, money honeys? This is Joanna Alexis, host of the Milk and Money podcast. I am so excited to be here today. We are going to demystify money for every female entrepreneur who is not a numbers person. My goal is to help you feel confident with your business and personal finances to help you profit, scale, work smarter, not harder, and build real wealth. Each week, we'll bring on exciting guests who will share actionable tips to help you get closer to financial freedom. This podcast is for grown and ambitious women who are ready to kill it. excited you guys to have Andrea Sager on our show oh my gosh you guys have been DMing me with tons of legal type questions so this is perfect that she's on here um so Andrea tell us about yourself and how you got started yeah so I a crazy story kind of I've had multiple businesses and I started my first business actually in law school um not that I didn't have enough going on <laughs> But it, um, I honestly, I was pretty bored in law school and in college, I actually made pretty good money. I was in the army, so we did ROTC and I say we, me and my husband, we weren't married. We met, that's where we met and we made good money in law, in college. We weren't like really poor college students like most are. So when I got to law school, I was a poor law student and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I was like, okay, I have to make money. So I started my first business, which was a women's clothing boutique. And then when I was in law school, I got, you know, I scored the big firm job, six figures right out the door. And I was like, oh, great. I'm set for life. And when I started at the firm, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I mean, miserable from day one. I remember sitting there because, you know, you do the summer internship and the summer internship is just for them to woo you and really just get you in. And they did that for me. And then when I actually started, I remember sitting there. It was like my first week there and just watching these old men walk around in three piece suits. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they have been here since they were my age. And it just hit me like, I do not want to be here for the next 40 years of my life. So immediately I was just like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Luckily, I, so I ended up selling the clothing store. I was just kind of burnt out on it. And just, I knew that it wasn't really the path that I wanted to go down. So I, luckily I sold that. And then we were in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time. And my family's in Texas. So I wanted to get closer to my family. We had my son who is now three. He was eight months old when I started at that firm. And so we just literally, we were just like, okay, we need a change. So we're going to make a big change. And we packed up and it was, this all literally happened within like a week. We put our house for sale, got a cash offer, sold the business, just like, packed up and moved, started my, started my own law firm and liter and the, obviously the whole time we're just like, Oh my gosh, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And when it just happens so fast like that and everything just falls into place, that's when you know, like, yeah, this is, this is what we're meant to be doing. So we have official, well, actually in a few days, officially we will have been back in Texas for two years 
And it's been absolutely wonderful. I've been able to serve small businesses and it's something that I love doing every single day. I love that. And it must be, it must have been hard for you too, like being a woman in a very male dominated career. Yes. Yeah. I, so I actually got fired. I, I'm like five minorities rolled into one. And, and the thing is, I 100% could have sued them for discrimination, but they offered me a severance package. And I was like, yeah, I want this. I want out. I want to move on with my life, get to the next chapter. Luckily, I, we were given, and that, and that was another thing, getting the severance package. And we were, cause at the time we're like, well, we don't know if we're going to make it work. And I had actually planned on quitting on, I remember it was a Wednesday. I had planned on quitting and my husband was, he was just like, just wait until we have an offer on the house. Just wait till we have an offer. Friday morning, my boss two my two bosses walk in and I had to do like everything possible not to have a smile on my face because I knew what was happening and they offered me the severance. I was like, okay. They're like, you you need to take the weekend to think about it. I was like, okay. But yeah, I I was out and we, it just happened. Everything just happened so beautifully and we've just been so happy ever since. I'm so happy that like it all worked out because entrepreneurship is not always like that, right? Yeah. And, and oh, it has not always been roses. I mean, it was definitely a slow start moving across the country and trying to get things going. And we were actually in a really bad financial position just because we had we were so my husband was active duty at the time and we had to move a lot. And we had suffered a miscarriage two weeks before I started at the law firm. And that just kind of like triggered things for us. And things just quickly went downhill. So we were like, okay, we have to do something about this. So our way of doing something was just picking up and moving across the country. So that's what we did. You know, you're doing amazing right now. And I think you're super inspiring for a lot of people out there who want to start a business, but you know, just are afraid to take that jump. And like you making those decisions all in one week is like, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy how things happen for us. So let's get into, you know, the, the fun part of yeah. what everyone has been asking me about and they want to know more. So, you know, as we're kind of, it's kind of weird because tax season was technically like April, right? But it yeah. got pushed out because of COVID because of tax season there have been a lot of conversations about, okay, LLCs versus S-Corps and then versus some of these other entities like sole proprietorship. And I think we had mentioned like DBA and you can provide some insight to what the differences are, you know, to each of these and, you know, what are things that we should consider? Yeah. So business entities are definitely very, very important when you are a business owner. So if you decide, you know, tomorrow that you want to start a business and you want to start, or you just want to start selling something. Well, automatically without doing anything, without filing anything with your state, you are a sole proprietor and you don't really have, you have no liability protection. You, your business assets are mixed with your personal assets. Your liabilities are mixed together. Everything's mixed together. And that is definitely not the way you want it to be. So in order to keep them separate, 
you need to at least file an LLC, which is a limited liability company. And the LLC provides that liability protection. It adds a layer of protection between you personally and your business. Now, if you're a sole owner, so you're the only owner in your business, that might be hard to grasp, but you have to get your head around the fact that now that you're a business owner, it's not just about you. It's you as an individual. And then yours, there is your business. Even if you're the only owner, there's, there are still two completely separate things with an LLC. You need to file that as soon as possible. And I know many people ask the question, Hey, you know, should I be a sole proprietor? Should I be an LLC? Should I be an S corp? And when should I file? And I'm, I know that your accountant, your bookkeeper, whoever, they'll probably give you a different answer than me. I, most of the time I hear account accountants want to say to wait until you're making $100,000 or this number or that number. But for me, I look at everything for you. So I look at your whole picture, your financial picture, your liability picture, and your accountant is only looking at your finances. Well, you have to make sure that you are your liability is at a minimum personally and with your business. So for an example, let's say day one, you start selling, you start your business. Day two, you blow up overnight and you are now a million dollar business and maybe, maybe even just a six figure business. Well, then day three, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm making all this money. Now let me go file for an LLC. Well, guess what? It's not retroactive. So if something happened, if you did something on day one or day two that caused you to get sued, well, even though you filed an LLC on day three, it's not retroactive. So it doesn't protect you for what happened on day one and two. So I don't care how much money you're making. You need to put up the investment to file as an LLC in order to get that liability protection as soon as possible. There are some requirements in order to maintain that liability protection, which I don't want to go into too many details here, but mainly, you know, keep separate bank accounts, keep the finances separate. Like it's two, it's two different things. There's not, you know, you with your business and commingling funds. That's not what you want to do. That's the quickest way to lose your LLC protection with the LLC that has nothing to do with your taxes. And so many business owners are like, what? That's not what my accountant said. And I'm going to tell you why your accountant says that, but Seriously, if you file an LLC, you still file a Schedule C on your taxes. So when you're a sole proprietor and you don't really, maybe you don't even file anything with your state, you're a sole proprietor and you file a Schedule C on your taxes. Well, when you file an LLC, you're still filing that Schedule C on your taxes. If you are a single, if it's just one owner, if there's multiple owners, that's different. I'm not going to get into that here, but if you are the sole owner of your business and you're an LLC, you're still filing that schedule C when you are an LLC, you have the option to elect to be taxed as an S corp. This is where a lot of people get really confused and where a lot of people ask, they end up asking the wrong question. It's like, Hey, should I be an LLC or an S corp? Well, guess what? You can't be an S corp unless you are an LLC. Now the S corp taxes, what exactly does that do? Most people know, okay, the S corp, it has, you know, some tax benefits. They don't really know what the benefits are in order to even 
become an S corp and you're not really becoming an S corp. You're just electing to be taxed as an S corp. So that means you are an LLC taxed as an S corp in order to be taxed as an S corp. You first have to pay yourself a reasonable salary as an LLC. And that means you're paying self-employment taxes. You're doing all the taxes. You're paying yourself a W-2. And when you are paying yourself a reasonable salary, and if you still have profit left over, then that's when you can file to be an S-Corp. You have your salary. There's still, you know, $2,000 $2,000 left over. I'm going to ta- elect to be taxed as an S corp. No, you need to have probably 20 to $30,000 at least of profit over all of your other expenses, plus your salary before you elect to be taxed as an S corp. And all of this is IRS guidance. So, and you know, all of our best friend, the, <laughs> the IRS. Now, what is a reasonable salary? Nobody knows. But if you're ever audited or if the IRS ever comes after you, you have to be able to prove, hey, this is a reasonable salary for me in my business because of these reasons. So nobody's going to ask you until you get audited, until, you know, something happens. And don't think it won't happen to you because it will. Eventually, (laughs) if you're in business long enough, something will happen. But basically, so I'll use me for example. 2019 was my first full year of business. In 2018, I I launched my business in May of that year. So I I think I made roughly between 60 to 80 thousand dollars in that in 2018. So from May on, I started paying myself a salary January 2019 because I knew I wanted to get that S corp status, but I didn't really know how much to pay myself. So based on the previous year's numbers, I started paying myself $60,000 as a salary. Well, I ended up making just between four dollars and $450,000 last year. Well, some will argue, hey, that's $60,000 is not reasonable when you're the sole owner, you have, you know, low expenses, and you made for, you know, $400,000. Well, yeah, but I can argue that it was reasonable because I didn't know what I was going to make in 2019. I didn't have a magic ball. So if it's just one year where you're paying yourself, you know, a minimal salary, and then you still have, you know, tons of profit, the IRS probably isn't going to come after you for that. But if it's a continual pattern, like say if I was paying myself this year, $60,000, like that would not be reasonable. So it's a tricky question. I, I, I get that, but just be reasonable as an online, you know, if you're any normal online business owner, I personally think if it's your, like your first or second year, if you're not making too much money, I think 40 to $50,000 is reasonable as a salary. Yeah. And when it comes to making that election to an S corp, and I know that you're coming from a legal perspective, but you know, is there a reason why they would elect that versus the just filing taxes as an LLC? And yeah, so I should definitely address the benefits of being an S corp. So I forgot to mention that. Yeah. So once you're paying yourself a salary, all the profit that's left over on top of your other expenses, you can then distribute it to yourself 
and essentially bypass all the self-employment taxes. So I don't know exactly how much that's going to save everybody, but just know that you're not going to be playing, paying self-employment taxes like you are when you're paying yourself a salary. Now you are still responsible for, you know, your personal income tax. So you still have to save that money because you file your taxes and you're going to have a, a tax bill. So I mean, I, I have to pay $6,000 in taxes from last year. So this year I'm better prepared. So that's definitely one thing you need to be aware of is taxes. Don't, don't let the man come after you because he will come after you. Oh yeah, definitely. And, um, and I did like a whole nother episode too on how to pay yourself and going through that process. But it, this is exactly perfect for, you know, going through this escort process, especially as you're scaling, right? Like you want to have as many tax benefits as possible. So I could absolutely see the benefits of going the escort route. It's definitely not always the best option for brand new businesses, but once you're profitable, absolutely take advantage of that. Now, the other one that I've heard a lot is the DBA. And I don't know anything about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is a great question too. So if you are a sole proprietor, you may file a DBA with your state. So a DBA is doing business as, and the DBA basically just signals to the state like, hey, I'm, you know, maybe I'm a sole proprietor and I have this business and I'm not doing business as my name. I'm doing business as, you know, this name here. You can just have a DBA, not as an LLC, not as a C Corp, anything. You can just have the doing business as, but that doesn't, if you only have that, there's no liability protection. I guess like, what is the difference between that DBA outside of that liability protection? It, I mean, it's essentially, it's the same thing as a sole proprietor. It, it's a DBA isn't really a, it's not a business entity. It's just how the, the state signals your, the name of your business. Okay. So as a sole proprietor, maybe you're just a service-based business owner doing, not really even having a business name. It's just like, Hey, I'm Andrea Sager providing this service to people. But if you're, you know, if I'm Andrea Sager and I have this clothing company, well, if I'm not an LLC, if that my clothing company has this name, you know, ABC, then I have to file a DBA with the state to let them know, Hey, this is me. I own this company, Andrea Sager. I'm doing business as ABC. Got it. Cause like I just went through and this is, you're going to frown upon this, but it was my first year. And I, my first year of business last year was only December. So I literally had one month yeah. and I did do, and I did go the route of the sole proprietor, but there was nothing when I was going through to do my taxes that said like, Oh, you had to file it against the state. So I want, is that something that's already done automatically when you file as a sole proprietor or like, why would I take the extra step to even, you know, declare to the state that I'm a DBA? Uh, it, Cause it's required by law. Okay. Yeah. If you want to so be legal with the state, then you have, so you have to file with the state. Okay. So when I'm going through, cause I'm, I'm doing my own taxes. I totally did the turbo tax. I mean, it was one month. So I'm <laughs> like, okay, I'm not going to invest like a ton of money into it. So I, is it that does turbo tax already do that automatically as a part of the process? Or is that something I need to do separately? No, you have to file Typically a DBA is done specifically with your County clerk's office. Okay. 
Sometimes it can be done online, but some prefer it or some require it in person. It varies by state. Got it. Okay. So even after like I did my triple taxes, (laughs) I I still have to like go take this extra step. Because honestly, until you said that, I didn't even know I needed to do that. So you're not the only one trust me you're not the only one and don't don't freak out if anybody's listening you're like oh my gosh i haven't done my dba there it's not like you're not paying the irs like the irs will definitely come after you i haven't heard of anybody getting in like huge amounts of trouble because they didn't file as a dba with their state so don't freak out too much but definitely get it done asap okay that's really really helpful as we think about just the different entities, like, is there any, any other tips or just things that people should know along the way? And yeah, so business entities are, it's number one, definitely make sure you have a proper business entity, become an LLC as soon as possible. And then contracts are a big thing. If you do not have contracts, you definitely need to have contracts. I am actually hosting a free masterclass on June 24th and 25th, talking all about contracts and basically what it like, how it exactly, how does a contract protect my business? Like what, what does it mean? Like what exactly do I need in my business? All covering all the things contracts. So make sure to sign up for that. That'll be awesome. And it's completely free. And contracts. And I mean, the number one thing with contracts is to use one. And I actually don't tell people, especially if you're brand new as an online business owner, you don't necessarily have to go pay an attorney hundreds of dollars to draft you a custom contract. If you can find reliable contract templates, that's just fine when you're starting out in business, because the thing is, you don't know exactly what you want in your contract anyway, because you don't know what works for you and what doesn't. And I've seen so many new business owners and definitely if you can afford it, then yes, pay for it. But in the online business world, we're all bootstrapping. It's all, it's, you know, it starts as our side hustle. So we don't necessarily have a ton of money and We're trying to do all the things ourselves. So I totally get it. And you need your money to go as far as possible. So just use a template, but don't use just any template. You have to find a reliable template to make sure that you have everything protected that you need protected. So like during all the COVID stuff, I, I saved clients. Honestly, I saved them between 250,000 and $300,000 because they had the proper contracts in place. I had, they, I had several clients that were hosting big events at the end of March and April and the hotels and event centers didn't want to give them a refund. And yeah, (laughs) I was like, "You, you guys know, this is illegal to host this event. Right. And finally, once I, you know, got a hold of the hotel of the hotels myself, they were like, Oh, we'll give them a refund. But, and honestly, that's just the power of, you know, having an attorney signature in your email. But on the other hand of that, I gained some clients that had to pay money because they didn't have the proper contracts, the proper clauses in place in their contracts. So coming to the top of my mind is a photographer who she's a wedding photographer. So you can imagine all the weddings had to be canceled. Well, they didn't need their photographer. And because she didn't have the proper clause in place, she had to refund them. If 
she did have the proper clause in place, she could have just required them to postpone their wedding and which most, most, a lot of clients did postpone and she was still able to keep their money, but she still had to provide, it was like $10,000 in refunds because she didn't have that correct provision in place. So again, make sure if you're using a template, it is a reliable template. And then eventually as you grow in your business, you will graduate to a custom contract because once you've gone through certain situations in your business, you'll know okay, I want to have this type of refund policy, or I want to have this type of termination clause. And, and there's just so many things in your business when you're just starting out, you honestly just don't know until you go through it. So I would much rather people spend their money wisely and just get templates up front and then graduate to that custom contract. Yeah. I mean, definitely off the top of my mind and granted, like I've only been in business like a handful of months. But the things that have already come up is one, like, okay, COVID happened and people want to discontinue their coaching because they feel like they're afraid they can't afford it. But what we'd agreed upon was six months, right? So like having that clause in place, making sure that, hey, you signed up for X amount of time for X amount of dollars. And, you know, there really isn't a refund policy or, you know, you can't just stop being a client because of, you know, like, okay, let's postpone it for X amount of time. Yeah. So I went through this with a lot of clients. So on, so with those big events, the client came to me and they're like, Hey, what, you know, what can we do? What do we have to do? So yeah, they didn't have to provide refunds. They didn't have to do anything, but at the same time, they want to maintain their reputation. They want to make sure those people come back. So they just focused on still providing a ton of value. And I think they said they weren't giving refunds, but in the end, if somebody was like, listen, I can't feed my kids because this ticket purchase and but like they, they gave people refunds if it was something like that. <laughs> yeah. And the other one I'm thinking about too, is that a lot of coaches right now are offering payment plans that are extending beyond the coaching time. So for example, let's say the coaching service was for three months, but they're actually offering six months for you to spread out those payments, right? So one of the problems that um, coaches are afraid of right now is like not getting paid after the fact, after those three months are mm -hmm. over. Um, can you share a little bit about what are some things to watch out for, some language that, you know, um, definitely should be a part of those client contracts? Yeah, so I, in all of our contracts, we actually make sure that we include a clause that says the other party is responsible for any fees that are incurred in order to obtain payment. So if they have to hire a collection company, they have to pay those fees. If they have to sue in court, they have to pay those fees. If they have to hire me for anything to get their money, they have to pay those fees. So always have that clause because I've seen a lot of times where, you know, the original party didn't want to pay, but then they point out the clause and I get involved and they're like, okay, here's your money, whatever, go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's important. Oh, this one's good. Like being, you know, even as like a financial coach, right? So like, how do you protect yourself in terms of that versus, and even for yourself too, like being a legal person? kind of like having these um, more professional type 
um, yeah. coaching type programs? Like, you know, what are things to watch out for there? Yeah. So if you're a coach, you always want to make sure there's disclaimers, especially earnings disclaimers. Basically, you're not guaranteeing that they'll make money there. You're not guaranteeing any success. Basically, it's just educational material and you're guiding them along the way. And if they make money, great. If they don't, well, it's not your fault. Is there anything else that you would share? um, Just other clauses to watch out for? Yeah, well, especially with all the COVID stuff, like we don't, I mean, hopefully it won't happen again where all that has to be implicated. But the force majeure clause, that is basically the clause that saved clients or it screwed clients this over March and April when all the craziness was happening. And the force majeure clause basically just says it, I mean, it can say different things, but it accounts for acts of God, you know, impossibility situations. So any, typically the unexpected, but it can't just be like, oh, I didn't expect. So uh, (laughs) this is a funny one. I, I had, I think it was the same photographer or it may have been a different photographer, but she said she had somebody wanting to cancel for January, 2021 because of COVID and with the force because she was like they were they were implicating the force majeure clause and the force majeure clause is typically something you can only you know apply at the last minute just like all the COVID stuff it happened at the last minute you know people had to cancel stuff at the very last minute and she was saying how her husband was going to be in the hospital or something like that in January, 2021. And I mean, really, they just, they just were trying to figure out exactly how, you know, something to get their money back. I don't, I don't know what happened, but basically she was saying the bride was saying that they, her husband was going to be in rehab in January, 2021. And this was like a month ago. So it's like, okay, so you know that your husband is going to be in rehab in what, eight months from now. I don't think that's reasonable. <laughs> so yeah, I see some pretty crazy stuff, but that that was one of the funny ones over the whole COVID stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys, Andrea has dropped so much knowledge on us today. And I know you guys have been asking for this, so I'm super excited to um, officially release this episode. And Andrea, if there's anything else that you just want to share before we sign off, yeah, I mean, just definitely go sign up for the webinar happening June 24th and 25th. It's all about contracts and how to make sure your business is legally protected. If you found this podcast helpful, make sure to share with a friend, rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, stay happy, healthy, and wealthy. 